0: Oh, hey, okay, so if you are listening right now, that means you are listening to the very first episode of the very first season of the Beautiful Collision podcast. I'm Margaret, and I'll be your weekly host, or should I say interviewer, whatever you want to call me, so get excited. We have a bomb season lined up for you, so make sure you stick with us every Tuesday. On this podcast, you'll hear a series of interviews from women who are pretty freaking awesome, Whatever is important to them, we talk about, I ask, they tell, because what people have to say really does matter. All right, so today's first episode, I get to speak to Drew Burgess, actually one of the first people I ever posed a podcast idea to, and she was 100% in support. This episode, we talk on on a very important issue, which is race in America. She is a white American, and she talks about her journey in the last few years of being woke to this reality, her realizing white privilege and her own white privilege, the art of lamenting, and how silence on this issue kills. She really speaks to the majority culture in this episode as a wake-up to the reality of race, and how as a Christian, she believes that this is deeply rooted in the gospel. I hope you enjoy, and enjoy her especially, because she'll be co-hosting or co-interviewing a few episodes this season. All right, y'all. Let's do this. Hey, Drew. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? I'm great. Are you excited?
1: I'm so excited. Here it goes, y'all.
0: <laughs> Here it goes. And just to preface, I mean, you're going to figure this out in the podcast, but I'm African-American and Drew's white. So yep. um, so yep. it's this has been a really good and um, conversation we've had over the last few years actually. Okay, so Drew, I know that yeah. you are super passionate um, about racial reconciliation and and I want to kind of walk through that, how this came about, how you um, just even started realizing this issue in your own life and just in the life of our world. So my first question for you is what um, triggered this desire for Just racial reconciliation, learning about race, learning about culture. Um, Walk me through that. When did it start?
1: Yeah. um, So, it really um, came about through um, the Lenses Institute Conference, which is um, basically um, put together through AIA, Athletes in Action staff members, um, that uh, about three years ago I attended. Um, Yeah, November... 2014 so almost three years ago Um, and this conference is a five-day intensive conference that was um, like I said formed by AIA staff members where it it was created because this this Institute exists to help the people of God fight for oneness um, by influencing the way Christian leaders see understand and act in our ethnically and culturally diverse world. Right. And so it's really where, you know, we're, we're taking into consideration our own lenses, um, per se. In other words, like how we see, how we understand, and how we act in our world, because the lenses through which we all see the world is unique to each of our own, you know, personal experiences, right. family background, national history, cultural context. Ethnic identity like it all plays a vital role whether we realize it or not in shaping how we view the world And so the lenses conference comes in um, All with the intent to help us see and love and serve the people around us the way that God does and so yeah I went to that conference um, You know almost three years ago. I went in I went in one way, and I came out of it (laughs) Just completely wrecked and changed forever
0: um so I have a question for you so did you have any expectations going into it do you even know what to expect at all did you know like had you done any research on it or you were just like I have to do this for work or for my job because I'm on staff yep
1: um yeah not really so it it, it was a requirement for us as staff members which I'm so thankful for um and so yeah, I really did not know what to expect going in. I just uh, had, had heard from other people that had gone through it that it was heavy, it was intense, and um, so I knew that. I, just, I literally had no idea what was about to happen um, to my heart, to my world view, um, through the lenses of which I had been looking and just had been a lot yeah uh, unaware of. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, okay, so you go to this conference, um, you experience this conference in a lot of different ways, and I'm sure there were so many different things that happened, but you go and then come out, and take yourself back to just right after you've been through that conference. Like, what, what was going through your head? What were you thinking? What were some of the biggest takeaways at that point that you were like, okay, what do I do with this?
1: Yeah, um... Yeah, so much. Um, I think one of the biggest things I, um, I walked away from the conference thinking was there is so much I need to learn. Like my eyes are really just beginning to open for the first time. And, um, and when I say beginning to open, I mean like beginning to really see color, see race, um, in a way that I never had before seeing my own, um, whiteness and white privilege and what that meant and so I I knew that I've got a lot to learn and I was so eager to want to um, to, to just start um, finding as many resources as possible to continue this cross-cultural engaging which is for a lifetime um, it's not like you ever graduate from it uh, as long as sin is a problem this is gonna be a problem and so um, really, um, coming out of it with just a hunger, a brokenness in my own heart, and a hunger to want to begin this journey of seeing, understanding, and acting, and finding out what that looks like.
0: Yeah, um, and I think I remember, you know, right after the conference. For those of y'all listening, um, she called me. <laughs> I was living in California at the time, and um, she called me and. She was explaining all of this to me and just where her heart was. And me on the other end, being her friend, but being African-American was honestly just in shock because we had never had these conversations before. And so it was just really cool to see the beginning of what the Lord was doing, which I know we're going to get into. Um, So you talked a little bit about uh, white privilege. And so what... And you said, you know, realizing that in your life, that was one of the things you realized. So can you yeah. explain, go deeper, like what is that to you and what made you realize it in your life specifically? And how, how did you begin seeing it in your life? Yeah. If you can give examples.
1: Uh, okay, so uh, Wow privilege, um, I'm going to be honest, like showing you how oblivious I was coming into this conference. I had never even heard of this, let alone knew what it was. Um and this in and of itself is a white privilege which I can unpack more later but to me white privilege is an unearned perks or advantages that I have simply because of the color of my skin and the way that Peggy McIntosh describes it in her article about white privilege um, is she says white privilege she sees it as like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. And I think invisible is a key word that she uses. Um, so Propaganda, who is a brilliant hip hop artist, talked about um, talked about it this way, kind of. He talked about being in like dominant culture um, is like being in the Milky Way. You're in it but you don't see or know that you're in it. Does that make sense? So like growing up being white, I was surrounded by white privilege in every way. Um, But I never saw it.
0: Mm -hmm. And it was
1: this invisible knapsack I had on that was giving me advantages in life that I was so oblivious of while at the same time blind to the fact that um, people who were not white were being put at a disadvantage. And simply like by being oblivious to this, I was contributing acting as a participant in a damaged culture as an unfairly advantaged person um so i think some examples of white privilege um that might help you know bring this to light of what this looks like is for example um like i can go shopping alone most of the time pretty much um assured that like i'm not going to be followed or harassed um that's a white privilege yeah i can turn on the television and see people of my race widely represented, Um, like when I'm told about our national heritage or about civilization, I'm shown that people of my color made it what it is. I'm never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. Um, I can even remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for that like being oblivious and that's like the white privilege I was referring to earlier I mean I think literally like I can even go buy when I go to buy band-aids band-aids I can choose band-aids in flesh color that more or less matches my skin tone and I mean it just started hitting me in the face once I was awakened to what it was and how much of it surrounds me yeah um, and privilege like it, it impacts even our proposed solutions for racism, and even what our, our very definition of racism is, I think, like, on the privileged side, I saw racism as a matter of just thinking and acting, like, uh, if I, like, if I'm just not saying racial slurs, then, um, then racism will be no more. But like, racism on the less privileged side is much, much more than just how we think or how we dialogue. Um, it's a means by which people have status or get status in society, and the structures by which we exist in. Yeah. And so, I think, like again, back to the article I mentioned earlier by Peggy McIntosh. In it, she she says. You know, in my class in place, I did not see myself as a racist because I was taught to recognize racism only in individual acts of meanness by members of my group, never in invisible systems conferring unsought racial dominance on my group from birth. And so, you know, for me, now seeing that racism is a systemic problem, a systemic injustice, it's like, it's like, imagine one of those, um, like conveyor belts in the airport, you know, there's, yeah. there's, you get on, you don't even have to walk and it just takes you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like I'm on that conveyor belt. I didn't build that, that conveyor belt. I'm just on it. I'm not even having to walk. I'm just standing there and it's, it's moving me forward. All the while I look over and my friend who is a person of color who is not on the conveyor belt is working twice as hard just to keep up with me on the conveyor belt.
0: And so, wow, that's so, that's so interesting, because <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I've never, I mean, I've never heard that description, but I think that's such a beautiful picture of it, because, mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, that's exactly, that describes it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's, it is working, you, you don't start as an equal playing, at an equal playing field, and then one is just moving faster by, mm-hmm. by just because... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's it. Exactly. Like what to me, a white person is pretty much invisible or something I never think about to a person of color or something they would see all the time every day that affects their lives. And so I think, you know, like the question that I quickly realized I needed to start asking and understanding was how is my white privilege keeping me from experiencing true fellowship with my brothers and sisters of color, and starting to be much, much more aware of the white privilege all around me.
0: Wow, that's good. That's good. Um, and I think, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but do you think too, um, just society, surroundings, media influenced or affected um, your understanding of just? Your understanding of people of, of color or people of different backgrounds in general, um, do you think some of that came from just society? Some of that just came from maybe not grow up, growing up in a setting where you branched out as much?
1: Um, definitely. Yeah. I So, I grew up with, like, very little exposure to other cultures in my own, um, like my school, my church, my extracurricular activities, aka sports, like everything is pretty much all majority culture around me. Um, really, was I ever the minority. And so, I mean, then I, you know, come to college at UNC and I was exposed to, well, like a lot more cultures suddenly around me, um, but I like still <laughs> was just missing it. Um, and so I remember I went to East Asia after my freshman year in college on a summer project. With crew, and um, I, I came back from that project just with all of a sudden um, just my eyes being opened um, to actually seeing um, Asians here on campus. I mean, they were always here before I went to East Asia, um, and they're still here, but I just like I saw them differently when I came back. Like, I actually just I saw them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, um, yeah, I mean, I also, in college, um, worked with the women's basketball team um, as a strength and conditioning assistant, and um, for several years, and um, majority African American, Um, and even though I was like starting to interact more with people who didn't look just like me, I still was just oblivious um, and unaware of so much.
0: Yeah. Um, that's good. So, you know, fast forward and... So, and going back to... You went to this conference and then fast forward, and, you know, that was three years ago, and you're experiencing more and more of culture. And, you know, I know this, but I just want you to tell kind of the audience, in the last two years especially, you've done... You've really, like, dived into this. Um, I think something huge that you've done, which... I think is, can be hard for people is just even like ask for forgiveness. Um, you know, and like go into steps to even ask for forgiveness. And so I kind of want to ask you that too. Um, why is that important? Because it's one thing to like know about these things, um, and now learn about race. Um, but then why is the step of, for you, why was it important to, you know, even talk to people like me and be like, Hey, Margaret, I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z, um, or, um, what meant with me? Like, why was that important to you? Um,
1: this, I mean, this was also something, um, right after the conference that was on my heart heavy. Like I wanted to talk to you ASAP. Um, and so, and, um, one of my other best friends, um, Steph, who is Asian American? I mean, I've lived with y'all. We lived together. Some, literally, my best friends. And, um, I, I wanted to call and talk and just, yeah, just like you said, I had to ask for forgiveness. Um, because never did I ever think, oh, I'm, I'm being racist here. Um, because again, like my view on the privileged side of what racism was, was not the full, um, the full story, um, the full meaning of it at all. And so by, um, by not really celebrating your race um, as a black woman, um, I didn't know it, but at the time was really um, deflating that culture and, and the uniqueness and the beauty of, of who God has made you to be um, and so, um, just my own ignorance of that, I had to to apologize for it and ask for forgiveness. Um, I was just my heart was broken for it of um, of what I didn't realize I was I was doing. Yeah, but uh, it really was. Um, it really was doing. And so, um, I think like the, what you talked about, lamenting is, is so important because, um, you know, really what lament is is an expression of regret or disappointment, a grief and a sorrow about the conditions that you're in right now. It's not just grieving over the incident, but it's it's not being happy until it's over. And I got that definition from um, Jimmy McGee, who is the president of Impact um, Ministries. And, and lamenting is, is so important. You know, it's it's sitting with crying with mourning and grieving with our brothers and sisters of color, about the systemic injustice and hate they continue to face. And it is really necessary, so necessary to lament. Uh, I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible um, dedicated to it called Lamentations. Um, (laughs) um, On this side of heaven, you know, there is always going to be lamenting and hope. I mean, it's it's a mixture because, yes, we, um, we have Christ. We have that hope um, that he is redeeming all things and reconciling all to himself. And so it's, it's a mixture of hope and lament, but, um, lamenting is so important. And my heart was broken for seeing that need to lament, um, with, with you, um, and with our brothers and sisters of color.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. I think that's a, that's a hard one. Um, you know, for me, on the other side of things, um, and I can't speak for all people of color, but for me personally, to for you to come to me and say I'm here to grieve with you, and I'm here to just listen and understand without trying to say something or without trying to have some sort of response, but just to hear my heart that was beautiful that was beautiful um and so I just you know to just to people listening and whether you're well one if you're in a majority culture um I think it is important to hear your, your brothers and sisters in Christ before you decide before decide you know the answer before you decide whether um you actually believe what they're saying but hear them first I mean, yeah. I think that's only fair, and I think um, God uses listening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. th- that cool. could be shocking, cool. but I mean, He does, He does, and so yeah, that that's really good to hear. Um, and so, why? I mean, you you tell people listening why why is this racial racial reconciliation so important? And I, I think you use th- coming from a majority culture. What, like, if you were speaking to the majority culture, why is it so important? Why why do they have to be a part of it? Mm, uh,
1: yeah, that is, <laughs> that's a good question. Okay, um, why is racial reconciliation important? Um, the gospel isn't colorblind, um, but the opposite. It is colorblind bold it's color engaging god wants us to see color to see race because collectively we form something beautiful a fuller picture of the image of god and racial reconciliation is important because it's the gospel it's what jesus came to earth and died for to reconcile us to himself and then giving us the ministry of second of of reconciliation second corinthians 5 um that's good.
0: Still,
1: yeah, so it is it's not only what Jesus so clearly came for and died for, but it's it's even what he prayed for and prays for. I mean, if you look at John seventeen, he's praying that we would all be one, just as he and the Father are one. So that the world may believe that God sent his son Jesus who loves him. And so is racial reconciliation important? I mean, I think more than important it's essential. Like, when we talk about racial reconciliation, we are talking about oneness. Oneness is essential because of where it comes from. It it comes from the Trinity. Like, the Trinity is oneness in its foundation. And now that sin has divided that um, for that very sake of division, Jesus put on flesh and died, and died for it to tear down the wall of hostility that we might be reconciled to him and to one another. And so, honestly... I would say you can't believe the gospel and ignore oneness. You can't. Jesus died for it. And oneness in Christ is one of our most powerful witnesses.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's beautiful. You said too, um, Jesus is not colorblind. You know, he's, he, he sees color. That's why he created it. (laughs) So, you know, he didn't create us all to look the same. He created us all to look different. Um, because he thought it was beautiful and he thought it was and it was, he thought it was good, you know? And right. he equally designed us and took time on us because I'm beautiful, just like, you're beautiful, just like, you know, my next brother and sister of color is beautiful. Um, and right. so it, it is it is just so true. And I just think, too, um, if, if we are... As people, um, supposed to unify too, that means we also carry each other's burden. So, if I, if I'm hurting because of things that have been said or done to me because of my race, then, then people, you know, my brothers and sisters need to walk alongside of me in that. Like, they need to hear me in that and, and, and trust me in that. Like, trust that what I'm saying to you, I'm not just pulling out of my butt, you know, but that, (laughs) that it is... It is this is a true statement. If if you are my friend, then it is a true statement. And, and trust me and listen in here. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the whole concept of color blindness was like such an awakening to me, um, because honestly, that was that was like at the heart of what I needed to also ask your forgiveness from. Because that I mean that was how I really saw you. I was like, oh, Margaret, yeah. Oh no, I don't. I don't see race. You know. Um, we're, we're the same, but by doing that, I thought I was like avoiding racism, but I was doing just the opposite. I was deflating your own beautiful, unique culture and the differences that we have that God has made in, um, each of us, um, in his image and, um, wasn't celebrating that at all. And I, and I miss so much that. And so that was a huge part of also just what I was coming to the realization of and asking forgiveness for and, um, now, want more than ever um wanting to celebrate um what who we are in in our in our own skin in our own color and how God's made each of us,
0: yeah um so what okay, so what steps now, two thousand seventeen, <laughs> what steps are you taking to learn listen and reconcile more and in things that you know you've decided, okay, this has to be going forward a part of my life this uh-huh. this this has to be a part of who I am how, how are you going to do that when it comes to yeah. race and um, people of color and all that kind of stuff yeah
1: um I mean that has been ever since I walked out of, out of the Lindsay's conference um my heart and my prayer of um God, what does this look like for me? Because I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, being a cross-cultural learner is a continuous, ongoing thing that I will always be in. Like, you do not graduate from it. Um, And so ever since Lenses, I am continuously being intentional about how I am seeing, understanding, and acting through taking steps to listen and learn. Um, And, You know, one of the first things I did before I even engaged in much conversation was just, listen. I had a lot to catch up on. And so over the past three years and even now and um, as we go on, like, you know, there are resources abounding from articles to books. I mean, just a couple to put out there. Oneness Embraced by Tony Evans. Um, Phenomenal. Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Tatum. So good. Um, Podcasts. Um, pastors, like, I had to really step back and think, like, okay, what books am I reading, what pastors am I listening to, and how many of them um, are of another culture or ethnicity that are not my own, and there's nothing wrong with um, the Tim Cullors and John Pipers and all of of those, like, I mean, they're incredible, um, such wise men of the Lord, but um, there was so much that I was missing out on, um, from people of, uh, of color. And, um, why am I not, honestly, like, but by not un- listening to them and, and seeing, um, as they teach on the word, I'm missing, it's like I'm missing a part of, a part of God because, um, we are each made in his image in unique ways. And, um, by listening and being, um, being under other people. Uh, my race, I'm getting a more fuller picture of God, I feel. And so, you know, um, any other resources from, from movies to documentaries, yeah. on social media. Um, and then just like we talked about, like continuing to have those conversations, um, you know, with, with some of my best friends and other people that I work with and, and just in all, all spheres of, um, of my influence that are of other races Um, and just listening and asking and listening when, when things come up in in the news, um, devastating things, breaking, um, our, my heart in this country, um, one after the next is, is not being silent. Silence is killing us. Um, starting the conversation of just letting them know like, Hey, I am, Morning with you and my heart breaks with you how does this affect you and how are you feeling and how can I pray for you I'm here with you and literally like lamenting walking with them through that and um and, and staying there not not leaving because we can um but staying with them through that and so um yeah. these are some I think some things uh that I am constantly um wanting to
0: be intentional about. Yeah, and you keep repeating that it is it is a forever thing and it is a, a constant thing. And I think um, that can scare some people, um, maybe sometimes of majority culture. Um, and I think another thing is, you know, like you said, si- silence is killing us um, in the sense of it's easier to, just be like, okay, well, you know, God is sovereign, we love Jesus. Um, and so just not go deeper into, you know, deeper into issues of justice. And maybe if you just like quickly or a quick sentence, can you touch on why, like, why that specifically, and you kind of did a little bit, but why that specifically can't be the case? Like, why can we not um, shy away from it or just... Um say, okay, we're gonna talk about this for a season and then be done. You know what I mean?
1: Right, yeah. Um so we can't bop in and bop out, um, because the reality is, um, you know, this is this still exists. Yeah. Um, and that is really you know, if you don't know by now from Charlottesville, you know. Um that racism, white supremacy, it's real, and it's, and it's, it's sin, and as long as sin is a problem, you yeah. hear the reality, devastatingly, that persons of color are experiencing, and as, as a white person, um, a white privilege that I have, is that I can, I don't, I can bop out, and I don't, I don't have to be in, and. um, You know, walk with you through this because it doesn't affect me, and that is a choice that I never, I never want to take the easy way out and and just and 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 leave. Um, I want to stay in, and we have to stay in because it's reality, and it is an ongoing thing. Um, But I mean, that's that's just it. Like, the gospel is not a call to comfort. Yeah. (laughs) Just a remember. Um. So, it it is that. It's a call to um to oneness in and whatever that takes to walking alongside um our brothers and sisters of color.
0: Yeah. That's good. Um, okay, so but what do you believe in people like the biggest thing that people need to know? Um, what what is it that should be said? Like if you had a last phrase, a last word, what mm. what, what would that be? I don't know, um
1: Okay, so I think I would emphasize the fact that unity is not uniformity. Like, uniformity devalues uniqueness and differences. Um, they're not the same thing. Proximity is not authenticity. Oneness is not sameness. They're different. You know, let's learn about other cultures outside of our own. Let's celebrate their unique and beautiful culture.
0: Mm-hmm. to
1: honor and respect differences instead of minimizing or eliminating them. Like like I said, start those conversations. Yes, they may be awkward. Okay, yes, they will be awkward. They will be hard and uncomfortable, but they will be worth it. Like, do you believe it's worth it?
0: Mm-hmm. Being
1: majority culture, we have, we have privilege. And even though that's still messed up and unfair, we who have privilege can and should steward it for those who don't. Like you have been given a voice to work on behalf of those whose stories are consistently silenced or ignored and bringing their voice and their story to the table. And so I think I think we have to have a posture of humility and learning, Um, you know, choosing to suffer with people out of love for what God wants to do in in, and through them and being willing to learn from them in return, because I think I think that's the challenge for us as the majority culture is our willingness to experience change like both on a heart level and like in how we like to relate to others but also in how we like to work. And so what yeah. might it you know what might it look like if we opened ourselves up to the possibility that, that God wants to use us to help re- rewrite a new story that includes and affirms all peoples. Like, it starts with understanding ourselves and the lenses through which we've been and are seeing and understanding um, and experiencing the world and the way we relate to others. And then learning and understanding the lenses through which people of other cultures are seeing and experiencing the world. Yeah. And then, you know, ultimately with the this transforming vision of a God more vast and beautiful than we have, have known. <laughs> before him one day people from every tribe every nation will gather clothed distinctly and unashamed in the dignity of their uniqueness I mean that is the picture of Revelation 7 and so you know bringing it back if I could quote propaganda (laughs) one more time um, you know he said we're supposed to be seasoning each other like me making you a better you and you making me a better me bringing out the best flavors in each of us and I love that because like as majority culture if we just stick to our majority culture circle circles and are not intentional in being cross cultural learners and doing life authentically with other people that don't look like us okay I may be going out on a limb here but just stick with me in this analogy um so okay it's like (laughs) it's like we're eating. um it's like we're eating tortilla chips, okay? Yeah,
0: tortilla so chips.
1: Okay. Now, now tortilla chips are good, okay? Sure, but you you start adding salsa, you put some queso, maybe some guac, and get some beans and cilantro, and then
0: she like, loves now, you have, beans.
1: <laughs> you've got nachos, people like all of that mixed together in one big pile of nachos is so much better and flavorful than just tortilla chips by themselves and then you know vice versa like i could have a spoon and guac and i'm not mad at that but <laughs> i mean you put a tortilla chip in the guac and it's delicious um it's just so much better so we need each other like yeah when we come together like a big delicious bowl of nachos we collectively form a fuller picture of the image of god
0: yes <laughs> Okay, she's, she's the food queen, by the way, In and about, she, food analogies, that is so jerk. Um, no, but I, I love that analogy, and I just love, um, I mean, just kind of to end this, or, um, wrap it up, but, that we do form a fuller picture of God together, and the reality is, um, you know, if, if you believe in heaven, if you're listening to this and believe in that, the Bible clearly states that. You know, every tribe, every nation um, is going to be in heaven. Like, people of all cultures and backgrounds are going to be there. People are going to be singing in different languages. Um, And I I truly believe culture will be there, you know? And so, um, we are not, we don't all look the same now. And we don't all have the same culture now. And I don't think we will in heaven. And I think that's what, how God intended it. And I think that's the beauty of... Mm -hmm of Christ and so if you I mean this if you are not actively seeking this, I, I just challenge you. Look at your circles, look at your friends, what do they look like? Um you know, do you hang do are do you only know people that look like you? And if so, I mean, no wonder no wonder you have no concept of what's going on because you have no communication with people. Um, that are experiencing what's going on, and so thanks, yeah, girl. Some glo- some
1: peso. <laughs> some Put all that in your life; it's so good.
0: Yes, um, thanks, girl. This has been such a good topic, and I know. Um, again, those of y'all listening, this was definitely more topical. Most of the other, majority of the other podcasts are going to be just more people's stories, but I just really thought this was important and. I really wanted you to share her experience because I've been in her experience and I've been hearing about it and we have talked about deep things and cried together and um, she's let me be frustrated and be mad and say things and it's just been beautiful how because of because of her learning this, um, how God has grown our friendship more because now I can talk to her about more things than I ever could um, alright so Drew I'm going to ask you two the two questions uh-huh. that are very great um, that people are going to hear every episode okay but the first question is if you could go to lunch with anybody dead or alive if they can be famous or not famous they could be your neighbor whatever who would it be and why? alright
1: so first of all first of all I got to put the setting in place here. Um I'm going to be
0: She's all unsure. about this y'all. For those of um, y'all listening. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, setting is very important. I'm definitely going to be um at Flowers Cafe in Toulouse, France. Um just the uh so France, the epitome of France of, you know, my my espresso. Um probably gonna have another another latte perhaps um and you've been there right i have been there yes uh last summer got to lead uh, a soccer tour with aia and just stumbled upon this gem of a place so you know i'm going back um at some point to have lunch um with i'm getting ready to intro um anyways you know i'm gonna have my my dessert some sort of delicious cheesecake perhaps um and Claire, you know, um, it's just, it's gonna all be there. All be there. So, anyways, there we are. And,
0: and who is it?
1: <laughs> and it's gonna be with Taya Smith. Okay. For those of you who don't know Tay-Tay, Taya is the lead female <laughs> vocalist in the Christian music group from Australia, Hillsong United. Um, so, why Taya? Um, okay. Worship is, is huge for me. It's like, really one of the ways I feel God's presence most um and man I don't know what it is but Taya leads worship in such a way that unlike anyone else it just leads me straight away into the presence of God um she she leads with such like a, a humility of like the spotlight is not on me even though she's incredibly talented, but like putting it all on Christ. Just so genuine, so passionate. Um, yeah, I mean, plus I think we could actually be friends. Um, you know, she skateboards. I love the longboard. I feel like we could go skateboarding <laughs> together. Um, I mean, also my love for anything retro Adidas is totally inspired from her, which Um Really? So, it is. It's all Taya. I'm not going to lie.
0: Um, I did not know that. Taya. Okay.
1: <laughs> Love Chick-fil-A, I think. So, I mean, of course, that. Um, but, okay. Yeah, it's Taya. I think we're around the same age. Um, so, you know, Taya, if you are ever stumbling across...
0: The podcast.
1: Giraffe, um, let's go to lunch. Bring uh- your board.
0: Okay, y'all. You heard it here first, so if Taya ever listens to this, Drew Burgess would like to go to lunch with you. Um. what? um, Okay, so the next one is if you could give encouragement to anyone. And so what you're going to do is you are going to pretend as if this person is sitting in front of you and you are talking to them directly. So you're going to say their name. And then you're going to say what you would say to them. Like, how would you encourage them?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I knew this question was coming once again. Yep. (laughs) But why is it so hard? Like, literally, I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm I'm like, this person needs encouragement and this, at the end of the day, we all need and could use a little bit of encouragement. And I'm like, that is
0: true. That is true. so, okay.
1: Okay. Here, I'm just, I'm just gonna dive in. All right. So, encouragement number one goes to my girl Emily Godwin, and I have had the privilege of discipling her for the past few years. She is a student athlete here at UNC on the track and field team, and this is now her. She's she's doing a fifth year. She's a fifth year senior, um, um, and yeah, I just I just was meeting with her today and um, just just hearing how she's feeling for the semester and for the year and Emily, I just want to say to you that this fifth year is not on accident. You know, you are here for one more year for a purpose. And I believe more than anything that God is going to use your voice to speak into your teammates and the girls that you're discipling more than ever. Um, I want to say To just throw your voice in this whole year into his hands and watch what he does in and through you. Um, I am so proud of you um, and just so privileged to get to walk through life with you um, for this extra amazing year that it's going to be. So, yeah, use your voice. Use your voice.
0: Use your voice, girl. And everyone else listening, I hope you enjoyed this and I. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and I really hope you come back next week and listen to more.